Sterling Jones, who is African-American, shared his story of racism on Instagram, and I knew he needed to share it with you. He has been a force for the youth of San Diego on the basketball courts for years. Here is the conversation producer John Browner and I had with Sterling. You're listening to Everybody Has Shit. Kim Reed gets real about her autoimmune struggles and other health and wellness issues we all face on a day-to-day basis. Only open-minded and honest talk. Okay, so this John Browner and I have been anticipating this podcast for a while. Um, There's just been so much going on in our country. And Sterling Jones, who I've known you for a few years now, right? Yes. Do you, by the chance, remember the very first time we met? The first time we met, it was probably in a gym. It was in a gym. Yeah. I have a profound memory of me screaming expletives, not at you, but about somebody. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. So I was probably sitting next to you in the stands, and you were probably yelling at a coach or a player, some somebody on the court. Oh, it was a coach, all right. Oh, my um, you posted something on your Instagram that really caught my attention because our country is going through hopefully a transformation right now. Yeah. Hopefully we're going to see some change. Hopefully people are angry enough that we're not going to just say we support what we're going to do something about it. Yes. Um, and I think that's what these conversations and a conversation like this is all about. It's just, it's to get to know one another and understand each other. But you posted something that was clearly very painful for you. And would you mind sharing that story? Yes, I mean, with with all the race stuff kind of going on, um, like me coming from like uh, kind of a a good home, a good family. I went to a private school. I lived in an area where there like weren't as many blacks. I went to a school where there wasn't many blacks. I went to Bishops in La Jolla and um, I think for me, what the racial stuff did where I actually started like noticing that certain things that I was accustomed to weren't okay. And it, it made me like, all this stuff has kind of made me like, think about like the last 30 years of my life and think like, wow, like, you know, that actually wasn't okay. That wasn't okay. And I shared the story where just one night I was, um, driving out of like Anaheim um, from a basketball tournament and I didn't know how to get on the freeway and I drove through like a shopping center that was closed and there's two cops and uh, I mean I've had a lot I've, I get pulled over all the time which is pretty normal for like a black black male um, I drive a I drive like a car that it's pretty nice um, and uh, when I was leaving like this shopping center I kind of was thinking like all right like these cops see me like driving through an empty shopping center. They probably think it's suspicious, especially they can see my face because my front window isn't that tinted. And uh, I ended up getting pulled over. Um, they asked me if I owned the vehicle, which was their first question, which I didn't think anything of because I'm kind of used to that. Um, they had me prove that I owned it. <clears throat> they ended up seeing that like my wife was the background on my phone. Um, and her name was, is also on the registration of the vehicle to me and her. So I ended up having to call her. Um, I think I FaceTime her and I think, I mean, she's, she's white. So I think once they saw her, it kind of 
gave them like a sense of relief that, okay, this might be his car. We're going to back off. And that was it. But, um, you know, it's kind of weird because I think when I shared that story, a lot of people that know me, I think they think certain blacks are kind of above racism. Like, oh, that black guy is smart or he's successful or he kind of is articulate. He's educated. He probably doesn't experience racism. So I think when people that know me are connected to me, like people like Kim and a lot of people, when I shared that story of just me experiencing racism, most whites don't think those type of blacks experience racism. It's only like maybe another type of black, whereas, you know, your skin color, like racism, something that I think all blacks, I mean, we're all used to, and it's something we live with and I live with it. And I'm completely, unfortunately, like used to it. But I think lately, even I mean, the other day I was at CVS and I just walk. I just wanted to use the restroom. I didn't buy anything. And you could see when I'm walking out, you know, two or three people just ask me if I'm okay when really they're checking me or blacks have been, I mean, you'll be shopping in a store and uh, the owner will maybe like act like they're fixing something in the aisle just to kind of look at you. And um, I mean, I was standing on, yeah, I mean, last week and I'm starting to notice it more. I'm like more aware of it. But last week I was, uh, in a parking lot of my office and this car had the window down and I'm just on speaker on the phone and the lady who owned the car asked me if I was okay I go back into my office I come back out and her windows were up so she obviously thought I was like it's just little stuff that you just start noticing that you're like wait like that's actually not okay um that you're used to so that, that's kind of what I was sharing on the Instagram post well it's really a shame and I didn't realize that you had the thought that maybe, or maybe is it us that certain African-Americans are subjected to racism while others are not? Yeah. John, is that something that you feel? So here's the, the odd comparison between he and I. I'm from a completely different background. I grew up in a very poor area on the south side of Chicago. I was poor growing up. I was involved in a lot of gang activity. And I can tell you this for 100% sure. It don't matter what kind of car you drive. Cause I've drove some horrible cars and I still got pulled over. You can be driving a, a Maserati or a Mitsubishi. It don't matter. It's, it's what's behind the wheel is what makes this uh, such a, a, a unfortunate um, occurrence for black people. Cause if it was just simply, Oh, I have a nice car. They don't bother me. There'd be a lot of more black guys with really, 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 really high car bills because you could have whatever would help us avoid this. We'd go about it. And so I have, when, when he's saying that he's starting to see, notice these things, when I grew up in the neighborhood I lived in, every store you went in, somebody followed you. Every time, every time you had a police interaction, there was a chance that that would be your last interaction with another person. And so the contrast, but still the same experiences, is, <clears throat> is, is what I always try to tell people, that it's not about how much money you have as a black man. It's not about where you live as a black man you will have that moment where someone will remind you of authority. You are not what you think you are. You are what we think you are. And that yeah. we usually comes from a person of whether it be a police officer or, or some type of uh, um, a person above you with uh, seniority. They, you tend to find yourself as a black person in a lot of spaces <clears throat> where speaking freely will get you looked at in a different way expressing yourself gets you looked at in a different way because in, in in a lot of to be perfectly blunt in a lot of white people's defense 
a lot of white people don't grow up around a lot of other black people. They don't grow up around a lot of other fill in the blanks. And this kind of goes for everybody, right? Because if you live in a poor neighborhood, you tend to generally grow up around those people that live in poor neighborhoods that whether it be white, you grew up around poor whites. Blacks, you grew up around poor blacks. And so you develop these stereotypes because you don't interact with these people. It's only things that you've seen. You've seen this in a movie. You've seen this in a music video. You've seen this on now Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or TikTok. And so you have this image of what you think these people are and how you think these people behave. And then when you meet them, that's the only way you know how to interact with them. Like, you know what I mean? Isn't that the problem? Yes. It's all about the image. You know how many that we've been, it's, it, you know, I've watched the documentary 13th now twice. Yikes. And it right. is profound. I believe it needs to be shown in every classroom in America. It is history that is missing. It is missing. It explains <laughs> so much of why we are here today. It is, it is essential. But it is the image and the images that we've been kind of brainwashed subtly over the decades as to why we are here and why the divide and why the divide is there. I mean, it, it's so bad that, I mean, black people are scared of black people. I mean, the, like, <laughs> right. it, it's, the, the, I mean, it's so, you know, it's so, um, I mean, it's just like, I've learned things and that I've learned things on 13 that I didn't even know. And I, I didn't realize how much of a victim we are just cause our race and like me being married to like, you know, a white woman, the, the weirdest, most awkward part about this to me is like, when you're white and all this is happening, life, like life is really good. And how do you really like empathize with racism when y you'll never understand it because you don't experience it. So like, how do you get whites, like you almost just have to be such a good person or such an empathetic person because like the changes in like civil rights and the changes in racism, it, it really, I mean, life is good right now if you're white, like nothing, I mean, the system's great. So like, to like all these people that, like you really have to be such a good person to be like, wait, these people, it's not okay. You but know, that's like, the thing, it was after, I, there was something, you know, there, you always see the, the video of injustices. And as a person, you empathize with that person who is being targeted by police or anybody else just because of their race. But there was something that just triggered in me. And John and I, we have such deep conversations. And it's amazing. I have learned so much from him. We worked in radio together. Yeah. He was at one point my producer on the morning show. And we have just been, there's just, you know, it's just people. You, there's a chemistry. And we, I, I'm never going to let him out of my life. But there's something that clicked with the George Floyd, what I realized, and I asked John this question, you can't just be you. You can't just go out in a given day and operate the way you want to operate. You have to temper your behavior. You have to watch what you do. And that just is not right. Yeah. Because oftentimes a bad day for a black person is the last day for a black person. Because as we've seen, a simple call to the police can end in a horrible interaction because it's how the police arrive. It's how they approach a particular situation. Like you, as a, as a, as a black, let, you know what, let me go back to 13. I think when we're trying to get people to get on board with equality, 
from this standpoint. If a person watches that and walks away from 13, still thinking that systematic oppression doesn't exist, that's a wall that I fear we're never gonna break. Because yeah. it, it details before the person you're probably having a conversation with, before they were born, it gives you extremely detailed explanation of how black people were not allowed the same rights as white people. Whether you fought in a war, whether you had money, it didn't matter. Your rights were different from their rights. And if a person can't see that and absorb that and look around today with what's happening, to bring it back to what you were talking about, with police violence and what happened with George Floyd or what happened with Breonna Taylor, what happened to Alton Sterling, when, when you say it's, it's hard to, to express yourself as a black person because when you do, when you have had enough and you express that you've had enough, they don't see another person having a bad day. They see a monster and they, yeah. see, a, they see a person who needs to be stopped. Like uh, Eric Garner was selling loose cigarettes. I can't explain to you how harmless this is, okay? The man was selling loose cigarettes, like one at a time, referred to as Lucy's. And he had been doing this for a while. And the police had been badgering him for a while. And in that particular day, he had had enough. He said, I'm tired of y'all messing with me because he had had enough. And they choked yeah. this man to death while Dylan Roof shot up a church full of people who he prayed with. And they took this man to Burger King. Like this, this system, the system is altered for certain people to, to make it out of an altercation and certain people to not make it out of an altercation. People say the system's broken. The system's not broken. It's working perfectly as it was designed. It wasn't designed. To, right. The system wasn't designed to help certain people. It was designed to hurt a particular type of person. I mean, I'm, I'm on board. I'm on board with you in the sense of like, you know, the only way it changes is like people like Kim, like, you know, essentially like white, like empathetic, educated people that, that see as an issue because what's motivating the majority of the people to make change when the system works in their favor? You know, like people see all this police brutality and they'll say like, well, don't steal or don't sell this or don't do this. Like, Don't that, resist. Yeah, that, I mean, don't resist, we'll cooperate. Well, I mean, until the people that aren't affected are super motivated and inspired, that's, I mean, there won't be any change. And how do you get people who don't understand racism to like really like empathize? And like what Kim has going for her is like, she's connected to African-Americans. And what if, think about all these cities and all these families that like don't know one black person. When you know someone, you feel it more. But there's so many kids. I mean, I went to a private school where like when I walked in in seventh grade at Bishops, it was the first black kid a lot of kids met. And I mean, it might be like that too at La Jolla Country Day where like a lot of these kids, it's just when I'm raised and I'm in Del Mar, I'm in Solana Beach, I'm in Rancho San Antonio, there's not many there. So how do you connect with a race that you don't have any emotional ties with? Like when you know a person, it's like, and I, I think that's why my Instagram video, because like I know so many white people, it's like, oh shit, like Sterling was affected? Yeah. Wow, so I, I didn't think like he would be effective. And I think once they know that, they're like, Maybe I can sympathize, but there's so many people that like, they don't even know a black dude. So why would I care? Why would I change? And I get that side too, unfortunately. Sterling, explain the weight of that. Because I think a lot of people don't understand that. Like when you say, when you're in, when you in seventh grade, you walk into the room, this, you may be the only black person 
that they have experience with for a year going forward, that carries a weight. Do you agree or disagree? 100%. And, you know, man, like I, I've had so much like self-reflection where the, the thing that drives me crazy the most, and I get this, I've been getting this my whole life is people will say I'm white and it's, 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 it like, it upsets me so it's much. It's hurtful. Well, you're pretty much saying I'm educated, articulate with nice taste. So you can't be black. But, yeah. So, so for me, blacks looked at me like you're not one of us because you know your mom it does this and your dad does this and you go to the school but then whites look at me like you're just a black dude but you're a white black dude but then if i acted black then what does that mean and like i had it i had someone said like ah oh, you're like a white dad because like i'm like taking my son to disneyland and playing catch with him then what's a black dad <laughs> You know, like, so when, when people say you're acting white, like if I'm going and grab my Starbucks in the morning, like I'm being white, like, so what is black? Like, where do I go for my coffee? Right, right. Where do black people get coffee at in the morning? Like what? <laughs> so I'm, I'm in this like weird zone where like, so I'm not black, but I'm not white. So you guys put me in this, like, you know, and it's so disrespectful to me when like, oh dude, you're, you're acting so white. So, you're, so Sterling. Because you are from the North County of San Diego yeah, and you went to Bishops, which is an affluent school. So do you have a lot of black friends? So I do through like basketball, but not through school. And the saddest part is like, if you want to go to a good school, there's probably not going to be any black people there. And that's yeah. the sacrifice my parents made. Like if I'm going to a school where there's diversity, probably the education is probably not well funded. And it's probably not the, and that's the saddest part. So what my dad did is like, I'd be at Bishop's getting the good education. But then when I went to go play basketball, he'd take me to like, you know, uh, low income or, you know, whatever you want to call it areas. And for my parents, it was about, can you communicate with both? Like yeah. that's, the, that's the skill set my dad wanted me to have is can you go in the room full of people that look like you and operate and can you go in the room with people for you know with whites and operate and you know like the the using the word white is like an adjective is something that's so common but no one i mean that's something that I, you know dude you're acting so white right now like, you know white is essentially like a compliment you know it's tough. it's the i've always seen it as the ugliest insult you can ever give a black man yeah to assume that his education is worthless because he's not dumb like you, so therefore he's not a black guy. Like, the stigma of being an intelligent black man, it's a weight. It is a legit weight that I think a lot of people don't understand because I have, I wouldn't consider myself educated, but I have been the only black guy in a room more times than I ever want to count, than I ever want to, truly get into any detail about and Sterling you can probably relate to this I've had so many older white guys come up to me and just start doing slang just oh goodness man like when I was at Bishop's a kid would come up to me or just now like yo what's up dog like I don't talk like that right <laughs> right <laughs> why are you talking like why are you talking to me like that like I, what's up man what's up dog like I don't talk <laughs> and the the, the 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 part about what I think as as people what we're what the country is starting to do is recognize that something is wrong, and I think the way the awakening that is happening now unfortunately took George Floyd's death being so blatant, like it was so 
for such a lack of human life. It was such a throwback to the way black people were treated, but it was never filmed. During the civil rights, what happened to George Floyd happened a lot. There was just never any documentation of it. Now there's cameras. There's cameras everywhere. So everything that is done, it's done on a screen and it can be sent around the world. And so then it becomes this embarrassing stain on the Minneapolis Police Department. But if you look at the Minneapolis Police Department, it's got stains all over it. But we mm-hmm. never saw, right, we've never seen them. And so now this, this, this awakening of people saying that, well, this isn't fair. This has been happening all this time. So we get people who want to have conversations. And so what I've always said is, and I'd be interested to hear what you think about this, Sterling, as well, and Kim as well. How do you go about moving forward in taking the moment where we have everyone's attention and making the most out of it? Because I'm a firm believer of you cannot change the world by yourself. All you can do is change five or six people that you know and hope that that's a ripple effect amongst your circle. Going on, because a lot of people don't have television platforms. They don't have radio platforms. They don't have high social media followers, but they know five people. They know 10 people. And so if you're in a room where something is being said, this is your moment to do your part. This is your moment to speak up. What do you think about that? Kim, you want this? So, okay, first of all, I have to say, Sterling, I don't have a lot of black friends. And in North County, it is all white in San Diego. And it is a bummer that we can't be more integrated. Um, So the thing that I've learned through being with John is the thing that I will say the most is you don't know what it's like to operate with black skin. You don't know what it's like to just get in your car and do simple things in life if you have black skin. So, you know, people who try to say, well, you know, history is history, let's move on. It's not that simple that we haven't moved on. And that's the problem. And I think now I've always been kind of politically quiet. I lead my life no different than the way that I'm speaking to you, but I can't be quiet any longer. I'm so outraged by the continuation of the feelings that people have and just the treatment of people. It's sickening. And so we have to do something, but it, 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 it has to start from the top. Yeah. I mean, we have to provide reform, I believe, put money into our police officers um, and, and train them how to deal with people on many different levels. They're not given enough resources um, and education on different people of different walks of life. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there's schooling for that and they're not being properly schooled. Yeah, I saw that like it's, you have to do more school to be a barber than a police officer. I mean, that's, you know, that's scary. And the biggest thing is like, you know, it's not me or John being on here. It's Kim. It's people that are unaffected that are inspired. And that's how we're going to get changed. Me and John talking about it. It's, it's just another black dude, you know, talking to another black dude. It's just another black dude, you know, over here crying about something. Whereas when you get, when you get like the Kims of the world, out here pushing the agenda. And I mean, it's like Kim being in a house with five of her white girlfriends and she's pushing the envelope. I mean, that's how you get changed. It's not me and John, it's it's to me, the people unaffected. And what I've noticed even with my wife though, is like, 
now you get, you know, you hear this like white tears thing. We're like now white, like the, the thing that I don't like is like now, like there's like, and John, I don't know how you feel about me saying this, but like, there's like a group of blacks that are now almost making whites. There's like hatred towards whites. And, and this is like fueling like this, like, you know, you got the white tears, but now you got like blacks that are actually now like almost like, like whites are going to make mistakes and like, they're maybe they don't understand what's offensive and what's not. But I think it's super important for blacks to be like, you know, as long as you have an open mind and you're willing to learn your opinion on things can change. And like, it needs to be more of like a loving group effort instead of like, Oh, you said that I hate you. You're racist, you know? And now like, I think blacks, I think there's like some blacks that are like a little bit like aggressive in the sense of like, we need the unaffected and the people that don't understand it to like learn and have open minds. But like, I think we need to like enlighten people, but then they need to be able to receive that information instead of us looking at like, Oh, Kim said this, Oh, she's racist. I hate her. It's like, no, like we, we, we need to like empower people that way we can all kind of like come together. I think for the, for people who want to learn, you have to have the doors open to educate. You cannot be, offended kim and i've had a lot of conversations yeah. and she knows that she can ask me anything about anything because and, and and vice versa because that's the relationship that we've built i think a lot of times when you invite everybody in to solve a problem sometimes people come in that don't want the problem solved because yeah. they see division as success yeah. and the the um, the group of people that because it's true what you're saying is true the group of people that are trying to take advantage of white people being like, okay, what's the problem? How can I help? We've got to find, we've got to eradicate those people because we need allies in this situation. Like even currently with what was said uh, by Nick Cannon, we need allies. We don't need to be alienating people. If you believe something that is completely counter to the culture and you have a platform, Invite that person on your platform to discuss your differences. Don't use your differences to try to dominate a particular person or a particular race of people. Because that's how we got here. Yeah, that's how we got here. So let's don't, not belittle and alienate yes. rights. Let's like empower and let's get on the same page. Like let's that that's my biggest thing is like I see a group that's like kind of like there's a lot of hatred and like now because I have the civil rights movement. Yeah, we're oppressed. Yeah, we've been beat up. But like the only way we're going to make change is not through like me hating someone now right. and misunderstood. It's me empowering and educating and, and that person having an open mind. I think the, the, a lot of white people helped the Civil Rights Act pass. Lyndon B. Johnson signed it. He wasn't black. So there are a lot of white people who helped get to this, who, again, to solve this, there will be more Kims than, than Sterling's if this is going to get fixed. There'll be more Kims than John's if this is going to get fixed. Because, yes. again, as people, we've got to figure out what do we do next. And that's Okay, all. so what is it? <laughs> I mean, you know, we can have this conversation, but it, ha it has to be bigger. Right. There, I mean, it, it has to be, it's, it, systemic is poison. And so how do you eradicate poison? I mean, 
is it because people are fearful of people because they don't know people because there is segregation? There really is. I mean, Sterling, if you look at San Diego, we're not a very blended community. Not at all. No. And when, because, and when you're not blended, you don't understand people. You don't have, you know, people are people, but people have to know that people are people. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish more people could get connected. I mean, if I'm a, if I'm a white kid and I live in Del Mar and I go to school with all white kids and someone asked me about George Floyd and racism, how can that kid possibly empathize, understand anything about racism when their entire life and even their parents' life has never experienced it. Like how, like when I see a guy that, you know, uh, like when I see someone that they don't understand, right? I, I get it, man. Like yeah. you're white, all your buddies are white. You go to school with everyone that thinks exactly like you. You don't know a black person. How can that person possibly look at me or John or George Floyd or anyone and be like, oh yeah, that's racism. I mean, how can, to me, like, like you're saying, 13 should be played at these white schools. I mean, to me, it's like education and integration. I mean, how, how can a white kid that goes to like a, a high school in a white area with two white parents with all white friends possibly, I mean, it's, you know, there's, there's things about Asians and Mexicans that I'll never understand. Yeah. Because you, know, you can't like, help where you were born. Yeah, I, I mean, you have no control over it. One hundred percent. I mean, there's things that me and John will never understand because we have an experience. Like, I don't know what it's like to maybe be Hispanic in San Diego, where there's like a lot of racism towards Hispanics in San Diego. I yep. mean, I I don't know that, but like, we I need to empathize that. So these people do have a disadvantage, but it takes these Kims and these people, like for me to like. Cause like I, when I think about racism, I think like God, like the way Hispanics are talked about in San Diego is oftentimes like not right. Like Just second class citizens. It's disgusting. One hundred percent. And I don't experience what they experience. I mean, that's like a little. We have a little form of racism with the Hispanic community in San Diego. I'm not Hispanic, so right. how can I empathize with them when you know and look at them? And I mean, it's the same thing. Like we all have to like. Like get out of ourselves and really like be like, damn, like, you know, it's all about empathy to me and like connecting and integration and education. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough. Life is pretty fast and um, it's pretty fundamental when you're thinking about just the principles of enjoying life and trying to have the most fruitful life. You know, there's struggles every day, trying to pay bills and all that. How is there room for hate? How is how does that get incorporated into your mind and into your day-to-day -day living when aren't you trying to create the best life you can, whether you're white, black, Asian, Hispanic? I mean, but it it it's not that simple. Yeah. I mean, I think hate's a lot easier than love, especially when you're not living happy. I would love to see there's any review on like how many people in this world or just the country are truly happy people. And a lot of people have hate just because they're, I mean, most people aren't happy. Most people don't live a life where they're truly happy, whether they're looking on the internet or they're looking at what they don't have. I mean, it takes a lot of self and emotional awareness, I think, to be like a truly happy person and truly grateful. There's kids that 
I mean, they have a car at 16, they, they're going to college and they're really unhappy, you know? And yeah. I think we all just with health in general, with this world pandemic, we got to understand, I think people need to take mental health more serious. I think they need to take self-reflection, emotional awareness serious. And I think we'd have a lot more love in this world if um, people could just find like self-happiness and like prioritize their own emotional state. Yeah, I 100% agree. And so our paths cross because you are a um, very famous and very great basketball. <laughs> you are in the basketball community, in the basketball community here, um, because you've you've coached my son. Yes. Yeah. And players players play. Oh Sterling. my goodness. <laughs> that's his that's his um, branding. Players play, which I love. I love <laughs> watching you impact all these athletes so and you have athletes you have white you have black you have everybody i mean you've got them all mixed up in one big pile which yeah. is great yeah i mean um i mean i love what i do i love working with kids i love pushing and empowering kids and you know it's awesome and um do you ever see any issues of race on your courts you know, you know, there's there's a joke that I think, and I don't know if John's with me on this one. It's funny. I think in sports, race is one of the few things where I think blacks actually have an advantage in the sense of with recruiting. I joke about it all the time, but you know, it's one of those things where if you're like six five and white, and six five and black, the black dude probably passes the eye test a little bit more. So it's actually one of the few areas where. You know, I mean, you look at like even your son, this like six five white kid that shoots and dunks. I mean, if he was black, people would probably look at him and go, "Oh, he's a little better." I mean, it's it's one of the small little worlds where being white actually, I think, negatively impacts your recruitment because you probably they probably think you're less athletic. They probably think you're a little softer. So it's funny because it's actually one of the smallest. It's it's this tiny little niche where. Being black, I think, actually helps you. <laughs> okay, wait, 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 John. Before you say anything, can you stand up? It won't make any difference. You can't tell. <laughs> it, it'll seem like the screen's just going. You'll see his ankles. He's six seven. He's ginormous. Oh, he's six seven. Jeez. <laughs> Dude, Kim, if your son was a black kid, he'd have a mixtape. Like that's the difference. That's the difference between the way that the culture has developed for athletics. I, I have always been a firm believer that the at, at, athletics is the last stand for humans. Because if you can play, you can play. It don't matter if you're black, it don't matter if you're white, it don't matter if you're two feet, it don't matter if you're 10 feet, depending on the sport. If you're two feet, you're going to get crushed in football. But the point being, people allow you to just be in the sports world if you, if you can play. It's a brotherhood or a sisterhood of people where being black or being white doesn't exist because yeah. we're all in this together. We're this uniform. Right. We're not, we're not the back of this uniform. We're the front of this uniform. And wherever we go, we go in together. We win, we win it together. We lose, we lose it together. And to me, sports has given me an opportunity to, to sit in this chair and, and, and be a part of this interview. Cause without basketball, I'd be dead. And that's not even a, that's not a debatable topic. That's not something where, it's like, oh, well, maybe it could have. No, 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 no. The lifestyle that I was living, the, the neighborhood that I grew up in, the family that I was attached to, the things that I've done as a young man in this country, in the city of Chicago, 
I would not be sitting here if it wasn't for basketball. Because a lot of things that I did, people looked the other way because I could dunk a basketball. And I would, I would, I would never downplay that. Hold yeah, on. I think it's um, – Go ahead. It's so awkward, too, when you see, like, like Kim with all this civil rights stuff kind of turmoil in the country right now. When you see, like, these racist areas that are still cheering for teams with blacks on it, you see, like, these football schools that, you know, are – you know, I don't know. They got all their like the white supremacist stuff, but then you want that running back to right. get you a touchdown, or you know, you want LeBron to do this, but that like you know, like all that shut up and I mean, it's just it's such a thing because it's like I I want my black athlete to go to my school. I want to yeah. listen to this music when I'm out dancing with my friends, but like I don't really mess with your skin color. It's it, a it's amazing how weird. <laughs> it's amazing how you can fly a Confederate flag in a parking lot, but cheer for the running back in the in, in the playing, stadium. While playing some hip hop, right? It, it it makes no sense. It makes no sense to me that people, even in this day and age, can't educate themselves on why something so obvious that can be offensive to one group of people, but not okay. be. Okay, but here's here's the problem, which has been omitted is the history. That is why the 13th is so powerful. The history, because do most people know that those, um, a lot of those Robert E. Lee's and Stonewall Jackson statues were erected in the 20s and 30s, long after the Civil War ended. And they were in protest of what was happening in the black community. So I, I think that the history of why those things were there, people don't know it. No one knows. And why, I mean, like, shoot, I remember, I don't know if they had it, have it still came. I don't know. Do they still do like, um, like black history month at schools where they teach about black stuff all February? Is that still a thing? Uh, probably. I don't know how much they teach. That's the but... dumbest thing ever. That is the, that is the dumbest thing ever. I remember sitting in the classroom with like 16 <laughs> white kids around me teaching about Martin Luther King, whatever. And I'm like, and they're all looking at me like I'm like a sick puppy. Like, I'm like it's yo. <laughs> I, I, I tell my mom, like, I don't want to go to school because they're talking about slavery this week. And I'm around, you know, Johnny and Timmy and Gary all surrounded me. And like, I'm just sitting here. But like, I didn't learn about none of that, that stuff in the 13. I didn't even know about that. Like all this, like how mass incarceration is a form of slavery. And like, I, didn't, I didn't know any of that. Like my, like, like how they like, they lifted slavery, but then like they put people more jail. And now if you're in prison, we can still control you. And how a dude with like a little thing of weed is getting 10 years and then this little girl walking around with pounds of coke in her Cadillac, she, she got, you know, a year. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. Like, and, and for people who haven't seen it, what he's referring to is when slavery was abolished, the, um, there was a, a, a rule created that if you didn't own any property, you could then be arrested. So if you were a slave your entire life, they free you, how are you gonna own property? Or if you're a criminal. Right. It, it immediately turns you into a criminal. And the 13th Amendment allows people, allows servitude, uh, indentured servitude in the United States because you have now violated the laws and you can be returned into which you came, which was slavery. Right. Like, like Wait, Kim, the stuff, the stuff you're saying, blacks didn't even know about. I mean, I, maybe the, the historic, maybe the, my parent, I don't know, but I didn't, I, I don't want to speak for black, but I didn't know any of that stuff. And, 
I have a pretty good education. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's been omitted. And I mean, well, John, you said the first um, recorded terroristic act in this country was in 1921. June 1st, 1921, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yep. The bombing of Black Wall Street. That is the first domestic terrorist attack in this country. And people don't even know about it. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. It's an atrocity that we should all know. And that's the thing. It's like, it's like the Holocaust. We don't, as far away as we're getting from the Holocaust, we have to remember it. It is important part of the history of the world and we have to keep educating people about what happened. And it's just like slavery. We have to educate people because when people are educated, they have a better understanding. 100%. And for a lot of people too, that are in these communities, you could even tell them something and it's so so far for them to understand that sometimes you gotta just keep pushing it. Like, you know, there's people that legit think racism is not a thing. And to me, this, you know, I keep saying things like, it's sad that it's become a political thing. That now, if you almost believe in racism, your political views are that where it's not a political thing, it's a humanity thing. And so in 1999, what couldn't you have done in Alabama with your wife? Oh my, I mean, we were in Georgia two years ago and- Ooh. You couldn't have been married to her. Did I you mean, see that? But, but there's still places in, in tw- I mean, I think what's, what, what, I think the, craze, the craziest thing about this, Kim, is like, we don't even have to talk about 1999. We can, we, like all these examples of 1999, what I'm learning is like, there's still places. I mean, I got a kid, he plays at University of South Carolina. He's saying there's places he doesn't go alone, you know? Really? Like, still. And I mean, let's be real here. Let's listen. Let's, let's be real. You couldn't go to the Santee with your wife without people looking at you sideways. And that's, that's 10 minutes from where I'm sitting. Which is crazy. And you don't have to, like, I used to think like, ah, oh, you know, cause the thing that we're, we are privileged about is like, if, California is probably the most in tune and the, you know, like I was telling my dad at dinner, I was like, yo, it's crazy. You know, America's like this, it's crazy. All the, and I'm like, I was kind of like complaining, like, man, this is sad that like, you know, I, you know, I've been pulled over this, this. And he's like, he's like the craziest thing is like, you're probably in the best place in the world to be going through this. In not only America, yeah. but California, like, and it's still, here so you go to like the south or other places it's like 1999 or 1950 in a lot of those places and we're, we're like the blacks we actually have it the best i think here in california wow in terms of like me being able to like like if i was walking around with a camera like my wife like it's it's okay here whereas you know, if, if there was a thing where like, like it was a me and Kim, like, and we were in like, like Georgia, even now, people would be like, people would look at Kim, like, what are you doing with that dude? Or people would look, I mean, even blacks would, might be even looking at me like, what yep. are you doing with her? Yeah, yeah. It cuts both ways. It goes both, like literally people in Georgia, blacks are looking at me. Yeah. I'm like a traitor. <laughs> and in Georgia, you've got that monument on Stone Mountain that was resurrected took 50 years to make where they carved out Stonewall Jackson, I think Ulysses S. Grant, and one other guy that, you know, there's no taking that baby down. Yeah. 
it's it's crazy, man. So, I mean, I, I think we're lucky to be here, but I think- Yeah, but let me tell you something, Sterling. When I am out with John, I feel like I'm out with a supermodel and he doesn't know that I am looking at everybody looking at us. And you might be used to the stairs, John, but when you and I were at, I won't say the name of the pizza place, but it was a great pizza place up in Cardiff. And you and I were sitting there doing our work and everybody who walked in looked at you. Your head is in the computer, you're working, but I'm just watching everybody. I'm like, what the hell? What are you looking at? Completely normal. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. If, if a six, seven black dude is sitting in a pizza shop in a nice area with a pretty blonde girl, he's somebody. That's so what they think. He's six, seven. He's with a pretty blonde. She's probably sitting with him because he has some form of success. Yeah. He's successful to something. He, he's either a rapper or an NBA player. There's no way he's. A congressman. Huh? There's no way I'm a congressman or nothing, a lawyer. And and she's pretty, this Kim's like a pretty, you know, she's pretty. So who is this dude? Right. It's, it's shocking because, but in North Park, we didn't get any looks. Yeah. Oh, this is just another dude, another couple. We're just a part of the, the, the landscape. I've been stared at since I was probably 17 years old, oddly every day nonstop. So I don't even see it anymore. I just Yeah, I, I know. I was watching you too. I was looking at you. You had your hat on, you had your hoodie on and you're working on your computer. You had no clue what yeah. was going on around you and I'm like people. Yeah. But if What's he was your- in like more of a black community, like he probably wouldn't even get a second look. Right. So like let me ask both of you because both of you have something in common is you have children, babies. Um, John Browner has a beautiful little girl named Jade. She's, is she one, she's She's one and a half? She's a year and a half. Yes. So how do you, and Sterling has a beautiful little boy and a new little girl. How old is your little girl? She's four months. Sailor's four months. Hudson's three. Okay. How do you raise your children? What do you say? Because if I, and I said this to John a while ago, that I would be nervous to have a black child. Honestly, because I mean, just the smallest things can turn into tragedy and to have, it's hard enough being a parent, but have to worry about things that are just, you absolutely cannot control would be really hard. So what, what is, you have to have a plan, both of you, I would imagine in the type of conversations that you're going to have to prepare your children for this world. I'll go first. For me, for me, I think it's very important that I educate her on the the difference of uh, failures, the the level of success she will have to obtain just simply to be successful. As a black person in this country, you have to work harder. You have to work more hours. If you're an athlete, you have to run faster. If you're a doctor, you have to study harder. Yeah. That's just the way that it is. And for, for you to always make sure that you're in a safe place, make sure that your voice is heard, and make sure you know when to walk away from something. Because a lot of people, especially when I was growing up, a lot of people lost their life because they didn't know when to walk away from something. You know when to walk away. I've been in areas. I've been at um, concerts with you where things 
we're escalating and you are the calmest, coolest, collectest guy. I mean, I lose my, I could lose my head and you are just, you take control of the situation and it's harder to do that than it is to just lose your mind. Yeah. yeah. To be in control. That, that, and you that, are right so a, that right there is a prime example. Like, like, like my wife, she could maybe lose her mind in situations I can't. If it's like having a pit bull or a Yorkie. I mean, if a pit bull is barking, everyone's afraid. If the Yorkie, you know, if another less intimidating breeds barking, oh, it's okay. That's cute. Whereas if Kim goes to Starbucks and they get a drink wrong and she raises hell, it's oh, you know, oh, just you know, John going to Starbucks, they do the drink wrong, he raises hell. They call the police. Ten yeah. cops. Get this tall black. Yeah. Crazy ass dude out this this coffee shop. Why y'all mess this latte up? Yeah, I mean, so <laughs> for me, like when I'm out, like and there was altercations, like I gotta chill. You know, even when I went to bishops, like all the white kids can act crazy. They can <laughs> drugs. They can drink whatever they want. They can show up late. My ass better be on time. I better be like I'd go to a party. I ain't, I'm not touching nothing. I can't. Yeah. Cause if they find out that I was the dude that was hammered, or I was the like, or something with a girl, like, nah. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta keep it. You gotta do the straight and narrow. The, the white boys could just act crazy, and no one, no one cares. Yeah, you know, like they can. Whereas me, like, I was the dude at school. Like, no, nope. be the good boy. Like, not doing any funny stuff. My my butt's in the library. My butt's in the gym. Cause I know, like. Nope, because mm -mm. like we have a we have a smaller margin. John's margin in public is smaller than Kim's. Yeah, you know what I mean, it's it's yep. the reality. So like, John can't act crazy. So is that what you tell your children? Is that what you're going to tell them to I, that you have to temper how you really I, feel? No, no. But to to me, the the greatest thing you could do for your kids is put them in different environments, put them around different looking people. I think. Like if I was a white family in Del Mar, the best thing I could do is put my kid around, you know, maybe go go play on a team that's in this area, maybe join a club that's in this area. I think the best thing we could do is like create diversity. Like I want my son to like see, you know, an Indian and Hispanic and Asian. Like I want him used to that. And like, I think the cool thing about our biracial family is like, he has my family that he's used to. So like for him, he's used to different colored people. Right. Whereas if we had an all black family or an all white family, all of a sudden like a white person's like, you know, or a black person's like, you know, so for me, like I want him on a soccer team that has a bunch of diversity in diverse areas. I want him to be around low income, high income. I want him to be around mixed races. I want, I just want him to experience as many different things as possible so that he doesn't see color, that he doesn't see race. I want him to be around individuals that look different. And I mean, my son is already, cause he has kind of like long hair. He's already, people say, are you a girl? Are you this? I mean, why is your skin this? I mean, John, your daughter has experienced racism already and she probably doesn't even know it. So, I mean, it, it's one of those things that I think di like kids need diversity. And the problem is, is good education and diversity contradict each other. So you have to supplement it. So if I'm giving you a good education. I need to go find supplementary ways to diversify my kids. I need my, like the best thing white families could do is like get around people of color, get around as many different, and they, that can be through sports, music, um, 
are what whatever activities they do. Yeah. So Sterling, um, I'm just going to give you a, a 15 year tip right now. John's daughter. Okay. So John is six foot seven. His daughter's name is Jade. Jade's mom is six foot. What? She's six feet tall. Yeah. She's six feet. She's going to be seven feet tall. You need to start recruiting her. Dude, I'm uh, I'm already I'm already working on. It. I'm gonna be uh, <laughs> calling John after this. <laughs> so, yeah, dude, she she's already she's already three three feet. And what is she? One and a half, three feet. She's taller than <laughs> she's. There's a three year old that lives that, that's in the complex, and she's so much taller than that poor little girl. And then I just look and go, oh my god, this girl's gonna be huge. It's already bad. People think we're tall. My, so my wife's probably like five eight. I'm probably six three. I mean, we're like, but I'm like, I'm when I'm in the gym, I'm like the little guy typically. Like everyone around me is like taller, so I don't feel tall unless I'm like walking through Target. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, it's really been great to talk to both of you. Um, John is the, um, we are partners in this podcast. We creatively get together and come up with ideas. And the podcast started as, you know, a way to deal with some of my ongoing um, illness of autoimmune and the suppression of conversation when something is going wrong. And it was not the correct avenue to take. It's better to talk about things because when you talk to people about, what you're going through, you never know what they're going through and you make a connection. Like I did two days ago when I was out shopping, I made a connection with a white woman in a store who is married to a black guy whose 13 year old mixed race son surfs and who is not the typical looking surfer. The second woman I met has autoimmune. That's just through a 10 second conversation. So you don't know what's going to be sparked. You don't know who you can help. And it falls along with the race conversation. Um, we, we can't be afraid to talk to people. I asked John a question about a term that I was using because my, my children said it was incorrect. And they're like, mom, don't say that. And so I asked him about it. But you, you can't be afraid to have these kind of conversations. It's important because that's how we learn about people. I mean, look, if we were all the same, this place would be boring as shit. Yeah. No kidding. It would be dull. We That's wouldn't why, be I mean, I don't like when people say like, oh, I don't see color. Like we all like there's no. so like this the oh, there's only one race, the human race. Like, no, no, we have so many different looking people. It's beautiful. It is. And that's the beauty of our planet. So let's embrace each other instead of just pretending like one is better than the other. Where that began hundreds and hundreds of years ago i don't know but it's wrong nobody's better than anybody else so we have to continue the conversation it has to start from the top i've already got ideas about after watching the 13th um again last night about how you know the the prison system is an atrocity how yeah. maybe there's ways to get in there and help people so that they can be a part of society again i i, I don't know there's there's so many different ways to to get in there it's just how to do it. So we just have to figure that out. But I think having a conversation amongst friends, which is what we are, is a good thing. And so thank you both. Thank you so much for having me, Kim. Like people like you and your positions, I mean, people like white people that, you know, it's, you guys, I think, you know, 
I think you guys are the ones that can really make the change, the unaffected, the uncompromised. Like, I think it takes people like you. So you, you being so motivated and inspired by this, like, I think is incredible. Well, I, I am motivated because I am very, um, I'm trying to teach my children to love and to just look at everybody the same, but you can't look at everybody the same, but you can treat everybody the same unless you're an asshole. <laughs> then we're out. And there's a right. lot of those out there. I know. More, plenty to go around. <laughs> plenty to go around. But I learn from you. I can't tell you, Sterling, how much I have learned from John. I've extracted so much information from him. Every, everyone needs that token black person in their life. No! <laughs> no! You, you know uh, how many people I'm the token black guy for them? <laughs> Is that what you are to me, John? No, no, but that was funny, though. That was funny, though. Dude, I thought I was the token black guy for you, Kim, but I didn't realize. Oh, you know, she had another one. She had another one. I've got two. Two. Uh, all right, you guys. Well, it's been a learning experience. I love talking to you. I want to continue talking to keep the conversation going. Ideas flowing, ways to make change, ways to initiate change, and uh, just to keep having the conversation. That's what it's all about. Thank you so much, guys. John, it was great to meet you as well. You too, brother. You're listening to Everybody Has Shit. Kim Reed gets real about her autoimmune struggles and other health and wellness issues we all face on a day-to-day -day basis. Only open-minded and honest talk.